Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. What are they made of? Cured edible green leaves, food-grade ingredients, and pharmaceutical-grade nicotine. No tobacco leaf or stem. So if you're 21 and older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online and they ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. You know our trusted partner TireRack.com for their fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Pirelli Scorpion Weather Active. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Well, 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 what's up, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast. Just finished up. There's actually, it's in the two-minute warning now. Monday Night Football, uh, not, not the greatest game. Have a couple thoughts on the Eagles. I mean, the Redskins. Anytime you're on your third-string quarterback, you know, your first-string quarterback, who was kind of struggling, but he's proven he's good enough to win you games, and Alex Smith snaps his leg. Your season's over. But when your second-string quarterback, which is not terrible in Colt McCoy, also snaps his leg, I think the official word is he broke his foot or broke his leg. Fibula, tibula. I saw it on Twitter earlier. Like, your season's done. You know, and their season probably was already done the moment Alex went down. Now it's really done. Mark Sanchez. Whatever whatever Adrian Peterson's eating, though, I want some of that. Uh, And then I'll dive into, you know, the biggest story of the week. Got to turn my iPad off. Mike McCarthy fired, or weekend, Mike McCarthy fired. I mean, the green, like Hugh Jackson and Mike McCarthy, we've had two coaches fired this year. One's a story, the other one's not. Like Hugh Jackson getting fired, I'm sorry, was never a story. He won three games in his coaching, in his Cleveland career. Like I'm so ready for Hugh Jackson to be irrelevant again. Uh, but Mike McCarthy being fired is a big deal. He's won a Super Bowl. Uh, I, I watched some of Mike Murphy's press conference today, or Mark Murphy, excuse me, the president. Had a good stat. Eight straight playoff appearances. Longest streak in Packer history. I mean, Holmgren, Lombardi, now McCarthy. I mean, they've had some good coaches. So, uh, it's a big deal. And Aaron Rodgers have some thoughts on that. College football playoff. Uh, New England's home field advantage. I don't think quite gets enough credit. It's kind of their curveball. 
uh, that Belichick and Brady get it all. But I, I just watching that game actually back on my iPad, it, it really stuck out to me. Uh, and then Seattle, uh, what a culture season for them. But starting tonight on the Monday night game, I, I treat the Eagles a little bit like a helicopter dad. Uh, and, you know, I fly in like probably once a month. <laughs> I don't watch every snap of every game, especially the last couple weeks. They haven't been playing that well. But whenever I do come in, win or lose, my big takeaway is holy hell, Carson Wentz is a freak. Like, what a talent. Uh, I, I always shill for the Bay Area. I, I'm a Northern California guy through and through. Like, at my core, that's what defines me. It's the way I'm kind of wired. Uh, it's just, it's who I am. Born, raised here. Uh, I, I root for Northern California people. But, and, and listen, I grew up going to games when I was young, to Cal games at Memorial Stadium with my dad. Went to a couple a year for a lot of years. So the Cal program means a lot. I'm a big Jared Goff guy. I take him a lot in Daily Fantasy. Uh, I like watching him. I root for him to play. But the difference in just pure talents between him and Carson Wentz, it ain't even close. Like, I, I'm not going to say they're not playing the same sport because Jared Goff has become a really solid player. But just from a pure talent standpoint and a pure... If you could tell every NFL team you are the number one overall drafting you know team and you just do a fantasy draft, but it's real life, and you get to pick your two options at quarterback, you're the number one pick, are drafting Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, no team would even hesitate, and that includes the Rams. Like, Carson Wentz is just a different beast. He really is. And I, I was thinking, like, after the game, I, I like, what was his box score? And they showed it on Monday night right as the game was ending. Threw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, and he had the pick, the bad pick. I Bad plays, people always freak out when a guy throws a pick. Like, I, I am so unfazed by picks, even bad ones, with good players. Like, I, I'm sorry, like, Russell Wilson throws a pick, like, whatever. Roethlisberger makes some bad decisions, okay. You know, Carson Wentz throws a bad pick, okay, what, what's that supposed to mean? I know when I fly in, and again, I get Carson has had some up and downs this year. He's coming back from a freaking ACL injury. But the more and more comfortable he got, to officially it was 27-39 to 39 for 306 yards, two touchdowns. But you just watch him, and you're just like, man, this is a special, special talent. And it really is wild when you take a step back and think about that the Eagles won a Super Bowl without him. I mean, it really is crazy. Like him and Nick Foles are, are in a different universe from just playing and ability. It ain't even close. Now, Nick got hot and played at an elite level, but as we saw this year, he can't maintain that. Uh, and Philly's still a factor. They are by no means dead. They they factor, they factor they mixed in Golden Tate tonight, you know, made some plays for him, who's just a really good talent. But as you saw, like, their, their X factor and their curveball, just big picture. Like, if I'm an Eagles fan and we don't make the playoffs or we make the playoffs or we squeeze in this year, whatever. Like, as long as we got that dude, that guy, Carson Wentz, number 11, like, you see that guy? Like, the best teams that the franchise has really ever had consistently were those early 2000 teams with McNabb. And McNabb was an all-time, just talent-wise, I remember when I first started working with the Eagles, Deuce Staley at the time was like an intern, and he was showing me some film of the, those two like in 99 or 2000 or whatever their rookie year was. And McNabb was just throwing BBs, and he was fresh off 
the Syracuse basketball court. He could he could move. It was just like, God, this guy's a freak talent. The problem is he never became a consistently accurate quarterback. He also had some bad turnovers. Like Carson Wentz should fly by him, like as an all-time player in their franchise at quarterback. And Donovan McNabb, not a Hall of Famer, but well, the Hall of really good. Like I bet if you went to his Wikipedia page, I don't know, I just off the top, of my, I'd guess seven Pro Bowls. But like five of those, I would imagine. I'm just guessing. I'll, I'll type it in right now. Like Donovan McNabb had some really good years where he was clearly one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Like I, I think Carson Wentz has a chance to be considerably better. And again, this is not a criticism of McNabb. I think McNabb, six-time Pro Bowler. So, I mean, Eagles Hall of Famer, six-time Pro Bowler, had a hell of a career. From 2000 to 2004, when they were really taken off, I mean, he was Pro Bowl every year, five straight years. He was a good player. Carson Wentz should become a much better player. Again, I'm helicopter dad. So, you know, the, the mother and a fan, <laughs> the equivalent might say, Middlecoff, you, you don't watch him every game. He's been struggling. Again, eight torn ACL. Uh, their offense, now Zach Ertz, him, uh, they add a receiver to go with Alshon Jeffrey with Nelson Aguilar and get another running back. They're playing with, you know, some random guy because they've had a bunch of injuries and a 50-year-old Darren Sproles. They'll be fine. Big picture. It may not be this year, but just look in your division. The Giants don't have a guy. The Cowboys, if they win, if they make the playoffs this year, Jerry's going to give Dak way too much money. And the Redskins literally are playing with Mark Sanchez right now because the guy they gave seventy million has a snap leg, and then Colt McCoy, their backup, who's actually not bad, also has a snap leg. That's a problem. And I, I, I said this last week, and I saw it again tonight. I see people doing it on Twitter. I saw a lot of people tonight comparing Greg Hardy to Reuben Foster. I'm not a journalist. I don't abide by the rules. I don't even know them. But to me, that's beyond reckless. That is insane to make that comparison. We know for a fact Greg Hardy beat the shit out of that girl. Now, he paid her to be quiet. But we knew he beat her. He had admitted it. He was pleaded guilty. That happened. Reuben Foster did not, to our knowledge, the first time, she recanted, made it all up. She had also, on a previous individual, another guy, had had the same thing happen. Now, the third time, she might be telling the truth. I'm not saying he didn't hit her this time, but we sure as hell do not know that he did. So I get everyone loves kicking Dan Snyder, and the wind blows harder at the top, so you just love going in on the NFL. But to say Reuben Foster, I saw multiple people tweet that Reuben Foster has similar or the same history as Greg Hardy. I mean, we're talking about, like, credible journalists. That's insane. Like, you're a moron if you're saying that. Or you're just not following the facts. You just have an agenda and a narrative that you want to be true. Like, factually, she made it up the first time. If anything, she was the criminal. And this time, I don't know if you've listened to the 911 call, but I red flagged it. And again, if Ruben hit her, he's a scumbag, and every bit of, of POS is Greg Hardy. But the information we have right now does not say that. For anyone to put that out right now, I get you hate Dan Snyder. I get you hate the Redskins. Hell, I mean, a lot of these journalists that, that cover the NFL have never made more money, yet they hate the NFL. It's kind of weird. But to say that about Ruben is crazy. And it's just factually incorrect. And it's also been proven, like, we, did, we already did this. And you've already been saw that it went the wrong way. So shouldn't you just at least let some of the facts come out? Like, we know Kareem Hunt hit her or kicked her. We saw on the video. 
You know, this one, the girl told you she made it up the first time. Uh, I just think it's been beyond reckless, and it makes me really uncomfortable. Anyone knows listening to the show, I do not become uncomfortable very often. Got no problem talking about whatever. But by no means am I going to call him just like a domestic abuser. I don't have the information. Hell, the information would tell me, I don't know if she's believable. Greg Hardy, hitter, fact. Kareem Hunt, hitter, fact. Like, we have some facts. And with Reuben Foster and the Washington Redskins, we have nothing but fact. If anything, we have a, a girl that's 0 for 2 now. 0 for 2, who's recanted twice and admitted she made it all up on two different men. So let's just pump the brakes on just saying the Redskins are the devil, okay? And that Reuben Foster is the devil and a criminal. Because right now, the information does not say that. He might be, but we by no means know that. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive into the biggest news of the year. Uh, biggest coaching news of the year. I, I personally don't think Hugh Jackson getting fired is that big of news. I mean, he's one of the worst coaches in the history of modern-day NFL. He won three games in two and a half years. Like it's, it's unheard of that he even kept his job. So to me, is that news? No. Mike McCarthy losing his job, that, that's a big deal. In an industry where he had proven to be one of the best in, in a very public business in the NFL, he makes a ton of money, he'd won a Super Bowl in a top five important franchise in the NFL. Like it's comparing Mike McCarthy losing his job and Hugh Jackson comparing his job is like comparing a lake to the ocean. I mean, it's just, they're not even in the same stratosphere. Yesterday is a big, big deal. Also because Mike McCarthy, a, a, a franchise, and I think Schefter tweeted this out, like most Super Bowl winning coaches don't get fired in season. It's, it's unheard of. I was in Philadelphia when Andy Reid lost his job. He had never won a Super Bowl, but like McCarthy, had been there for a long time, had a long resume of success, and was given to the last day of the year and was fired at the end of the year. Like, that's usually how it works for guys that have proven it. One thing I'm uncomfortable doing, and I've seen this on Twitter, and I've seen some high-level people doing this, and this is a very old-school mentality. He deserved better. I, I, I see all that all over the place. He deserved better. Troy Aikman, he said that he deserved better. Obviously, Tony Dungy, typically coaches always kind of shill for other coaches. Just a natural reaction. I, I'm never comfortable with the word deserve. I, I don't think you deserve anything in life. In business, you get what you negotiate, not what you deserve. Anyone that's made any money or any deals knows that. Uh, Mike McCarthy was being paid $7-plus million. Like, he's in the top 1% of the 1%. Super rich people don't make that in a given year. That was a salary. Here's the other thing. Mike McCarthy, and I get Troy Aikman back 30 years ago. Coaches didn't make that much money. They didn't have guaranteed contracts, whatever. It was a big deal. So maybe he, quote-unquote, would have deserved more. But Mike McCarthy was paid to go away. Here's the other thing. He lost to the Arizona Cardinals. The, the reports came out in the morning before any of the morning games, either by rap sheet or, I, I don't know, I saw it on Roto World, that the Arizona Cardinals, and I had heard this in kind of some league scuttlebutt, that is going to fire everyone from the general manager. Now, the moment Steve Kime got the DUI before the season, that's never a great look. And then when the team goes on to have a terribly shitty season, like, yeah, it'd be like, even if the owner likes you, you're in some trouble. And their coach is a joke. Like, he's, he's a joke. 
they cannot beat the Green Bay Packers. And they did. And so I, I have no issues with them firing Mark, Mike McCarthy. Here's the other thing. A lot of people are crushing Aaron Rodgers, saying that he quit on him. And that might be true. Like, I, I, I don't know Aaron personally. I've never met him. Uh, I've known some people that played with him. We've all seen the stories. It's not easy. You know, he's not, you know, if you, you look up teammate in, in the dictionary, you're probably finding Tim Duncan before you find Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's not the number one guy there. But the moment he got his contract, which paid him, I remember when they signed the contract, later that day, Schefter tweeted, he is going to make $80 million over six months. I love the narrative too, like, football players make nothing. No, actually, quarterbacks make more than like NBA superstars. $80 million in six months. There was a Forbes article last week. Derek Carr made $41 million in the last fiscal year. $41 million. Aaron Rodgers is going to trump that. I bet Aaron in an eight-month span made $100 million. And he deserved it. Quote-unquote deserved it. He'd earned it. You know, so he, I get it. The moment he got that money, he didn't just become the most important guy in the franchise. We already knew that. He became the most important guy in the history of the franchise. In any business, when you invest an astronomical amount of money into whatever, an asset, a piece of property, a business, a player in this case, he is the number one priority by a mile. Mike McCarthy makes $7 million or whatever, is the head coach, not even in the same world of importance as Aaron Rodgers. So this notion that like Mike McCarthy, and I get it, I have some of this in me too, some F you edge to you. Like I'm not going to kiss your ass, Aaron, which maybe he had in the last couple of years. But the moment Aaron gets that contract and gets that much juice, like I- I'm sorry, Mike, part of politics at any job is knowing when to give in and when to kind of push back. Like you have to kiss Aaron's ass a little bit. You have to work with Aaron Rodgers. You need him then infinitely more than he needs you. Now, Mike might say, I was kind of over it anyway. I wanted a new start, and I, I make so much money, and they owe me money. Even if I don't get a job this offseason, I'll get one next year, and they still have to pay me. That's why, again, I will never lose sleep or you know fake outrage over head coaches getting fired in college football or the NFL. They make too much money. They're the top 1% of the 1%. I do feel bad for maybe a quality control guy on the staff that makes 90 k and 30 years old and has a little kid. Like, yeah, I feel bad for that guy that I don't, he doesn't know what he's going to do. I don't feel bad for Mike McCarthy. He's been the head coach there for 13 years. How much money do you think he's made over that period of time? 75 million? 100 million? <laughs> Mike McCarthy's made so much goddamn money, it's not even funny. And he wasn't doing a good job. And he was button heads with the most important person in the building. Like, that's a little bit on Mike. I- I'm sorry. And then Aaron clearly, did he sabotage him? Kind of threw him under the bus after the game. Like, team wasn't ready. We were flat. Like, yeah, it's, Aaron's got all the juice. Aaron has all the juice. Here's the other thing about the Packers. They're kind of a weird franchise because they don't have a true owner. Like, I'd probably argue Mike McCarthy would have been fired last year if they had an owner. But they don't. They have, like, this communal, you know, Mark Murphy, this former player that's their president, that's a high-level guy, Gudikins, this young general manager that clearly is not in control of this. Like, I, I get it. And this notion, it's very old school. He deserved better. The Tony Dungy, he deserved... No, he didn't deserve anything. He deserved what he had been paid, which they owe him. You know, he's not, it's not like he's not going to get paid. It's not like he can't feed his family. It's not like he's going to struggle to get another job, you'd think. 
But the moment Aaron got that money, and I don't see anyone saying this, like he has more power than probably any athlete in the in, in the world. Maybe not named LeBron or like he probably got more power than like Messi or Ronaldo. They paid him eighty million dollars over six months. He basically says to everyone in that building, if he wants to, bend over. I'm in control. And he said, by he, like he got him fired. But it's it's his right. That's when he makes that much money, and he's that important to the franchise. Now the counter would be how you know enticing and just interesting and attractive is this job. That's the other angle of this. And it's the Green Bay Packers. So you say that out loud, one of the biggest brands in the NFL, the league that's the most important league in our country. So you go, well, it's going to be pretty attractive. And they say what you want. He struggled this year, but he's still 35 years old. You know, and has, you think, three or four high-level years left for him. Well, you go, it's a it's an interesting job and a powerful job, but the amount of pressure, like let's just do a hypothetical here. I don't think this guy's going to leave. But let's just say he left. Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma and went to the Packers. He would have infinitely more pressure with Green Bay these next two or three years than he would at Oklahoma. He's already made the playoffs twice. He's clearly the apple of everyone's eye in the NFL and, hell, college football. He'd get a job anywhere he wanted, anytime he wanted, in college and the pros. Well, the moment you take the Green Bay job with Aaron making that much money and he's just Aaron Rodgers, the clock doesn't just start ticking. It doesn't, I mean, it's it's like, uh, it redlines. And everyone's on you. Like, you have to make the, anything less than like a home playoff game next year would be a disaster. Because the other thing you'd go, well, the Packers would say, our defense isn't bad. And we have a star quarterback. And we got some weapons. And we got draft capital. We got a couple first-round picks. I'm telling you, anything less the next year to like 11 and 5, 12 and 4, people would be like, ah, is Lincoln even any good? So while this job is, it's an elite job. You're the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. That matters. It just does. There's no, there's no arguing that that's, it matters several reasons. The biggest, it's one of the biggest brands in the NFL. They're, they're a franchise that Holmgren was there for eight or nine years. McCarthy was there for a long time. If you win, and if you're just a, a guy they like, you're not going to lose your job. It's not like, you know, the Browns or the Niners where they fire coaches every year. But the pressure that comes along with it is beyond immense. Now, you probably could argue they don't have an owner, so it is it is unique that way, and that's 100%. But you're, you answer to Mark Murphy, who is the president, but he's a football guy because he's a former player, and you have this general manager. I, I got news for you. General managers like picking the players. So if you're... If you're Lincoln Riley, you go, well, I pick all the players right now in Oklahoma. I answer to no one on this campus. When I say jump, everyone on campus, the president, the AD, my players, and my assistant coaches say how high. When I say jump to Aaron Rodgers, he might say, no, you jump. You know, he doesn't say how high you want me to jump. He would look Lincoln Riley, no, you do that. Now, maybe he wouldn't, but there's a chance he would. So I would cross that off. I've already said last week, Bruce Arians, if you're the Packers, you wouldn't risk bringing Bruce and him button heads with Aaron. To me, you're going offensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels, I said last year, I thought unequivocally, I didn't even think it was an argument, Josh McDaniels was the best coach on the market. His resume, second chance, he's learned from it. There have been several articles. He's been introspective. He's written down all of his flaws. But clearly he got cold feet last year with a job that I would say is way better than the Packers job if luck was healthy. Like that is, 
you might argue the best job in the league. You get Andrew Luck, who's 28, 29 years old, under contract forever. I mean, that's a great job. And he turned them, and he he didn't just turn them down. It's one of the all-time crazy coaching maneuvers we've ever seen. I just don't trust him. Remember last year, his agent, I think was Jimmy Sexton. I might have the agent wrong. Uh, or no, it's uh, it's Andy and, and Holmgren's guy. I can't even think of his name. Bob Lamont. Fired him. You know, just because you can't do that. That, that. that cannot happen. So my trust in Josh McDaniels, well, I'd be the first to say he is really good offensive schemer. Like, he is incredible. I know he's got Brady, but he's good. You can't even argue that. I just don't trust him. Like, what I witnessed last year, I, I, I just couldn't trust him. Now, I get him at Gudikins two years ago when the Niners were interviewing people. Jed was so caught up in making sure people liked each other. So he was trying to do these shotgun marriages. And Gudikins and McDaniels got to know each other. I, I still, I don't know, man. Chris Ballard knew Josh McDaniels. They had the same agent. And it still happened. So I, I just wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't waste time. Uh, you know, John D. Filippo is 100% going to be in the mix. I think it's going to be a little harder to find a coach than, than people just think. Maybe they go a little off the beaten path and go a like a Matt Campbell type guy. I, I don't know. But I, I would. I think Lincoln Riley tells them no, though he should talk to them. And I, I think ultimately if they hire Josh McDaniels or even a, attempt going down that road, I, I think it's very, very risky. Let's jump really quick. Let's leave Sundays, go to Saturday. What What just... Starting off, what a fantastic, I, I, I let me repeat, fantastic championship Saturday. That Georgia-Alabama game, if, if you're a sports fan, I love Nick Saban. I, I, I love the SEC because, let's call it what it is. Listen, I'm, I'm a West Coast homer, and I love the Pac-12. Like, that's my first love, but the Pac-12 is a joke. Like the, the, it's these people saying, well, we need eight teams in the uh, in the college football playoffs. The, the, the Pac-12 did not deserve to sniff the college football playoffs. I'm not a big believer that just because you win your conference, you should get an automatic bid. I, I'm fine with the four teams. Now, will it eventually change? Of course. Money talks, shit walks. So there's so much money on the line, they'll eventually go to eight teams. But the Pac-12 did not deserve to get a team. The Big Ten... Uh, you know, it's up for debate, even though I think Ohio State's ceiling. The SEC's, their their motto is it just means more. And the fact is, it does. It means more in the South. That, that is not really arguable. It just is a bigger deal in the SEC championship, in the SEC on a weekly basis. That conference treats football like the NFL. Out West, we care way too much about the Olympic sports, about equality, and listen, I'm all for equality in every walk of life, except when it comes to money, and when it comes to money, football has to be your number one priority. Why? Because it's driving the train of cash, and the SEC gets that. Ohio State, Michigan get that. I mean, the Big Ten, the Big 12 get that, and basketball to somewhat of a lesser extent. The ACC with the Dukes and the North Carolinas, they, they really matter. The Pac-12, we care way too much about lacrosse and soccer, but that's a whole different tangent. Bottom line, I left the Georgia game thinking, one, Kirby Smart blew the game. There's no arguing that. He got tight, called a fake punt. Uh, It's inexcusable. I I know he defended it. I was watching Scott Van Pelt. He came on and said they had the look, and he knew the coverage from being Alabama. I get that, but Kirby, 
you can't run a fake punt in a tie game in the SEC championship when their backup quarterback is in. It just it's inexcusable. Keep your offense. I'm always for going for it, but win or die, win or lose with your star quarterback, with your star offensive players that had played well. But that's neither here nor there. It was clear that after that game, the committee was going to have a tough choice on their hand. No one with half a brain could argue that, man, you know what? Georgia's one of the best four teams I saw this year. I, I It was true. And Kirk Herbstreet was adamant. And I got where he was coming from. But in football, there's a reason why the playoffs, you, you don't get the one or two. It's never decided on head-to-head. The, the draft picks aren't decided on head-to-head. Because football, the games matter. The season matters. There's You only play a limited amount of games. You don't have 80 games. You have like 16 games. In the pros, in college, you play 12 or 13. And Georgia lost two. Notre Dame will always be an automatic bid if they, if they run the table. And they should be. Their, their schedule, it changes on a given year depending on how teams do. But they schedule a big boy schedule. It's not their fault that Virginia Tech sucked this year. Like, they won the games. They deserve to go in. Alabama lock. Clemson was a lock. Oklahoma. I'm fine with them getting in because their offense is historically great. But their defense, like, you don't need to Google where they stand on third down or on scoring. They're, they're atrocious. They look like a bunch of midgets in their secondary. They can't cover. Their linebackers feel small. And they're a terrible tackling team. Their defense is terrible. But offensively, they are, I think historically, I've read a couple places, a historically great offense. So I got no problem with it. But I also have no problem with anyone saying that Georgia's better than them. Because I also think this, where it just means more. I think LSU would throttle the Washington, a Utah, a Penn State, you know, who's this, the Pittsburgh, a Texas on a neutral field. They would throttle those teams if they cared. I always go into bowl games with a grain of salt on how I'm going to judge the team. Like Auburn last year lost to UCF. LSU might lose to UCF this year. They won't take that game seriously. There won't be a player on LSU that looks at a player on UCF like they're their equals. Because all those guys are four or five star recruits. All those guys just look down upon UCF. And this game means nothing. So I win Boise who had an incredible program, beat Oklahoma several years ago, the Adrian Peterson game, when they walk off Ian, Ian, uh, Ian Johnson, you know, uh, Statue of Liberty play, which was awesome. But, like, you think Adrian Peterson looked at Ian Johnson or at Chris Peterson and his entire roster like they were equals? He didn't take them seriously. Now, they ended up losing, and it looks bad, but bowl games, there are two bowl games that matter, and those are the playoff games. The other bowl games don't mean a goddamn thing. But, like Georgia, I, I, I would actually bet against Georgia in their bowl game. Why? Because they just sniffed the playoffs and then they didn't get it. Just like I'd bet probably against Ohio State, which should wipe the floor with Washington. I don't think they'll try. I don't think they'll even care. They won't even be focused. Even if it's Urban Meyer's last game, which it sure feels like that, I don't expect them to give great effort. But I, I think the hard part about this year is you had three teams. Now, Ohio State, when you get blown out by Purdue, and they did not play well a lot of the season, that's a big difference between Georgia and Oklahoma. Those teams maintained a high level of play start to finish. 
Georgia, you, you just can't get blown out by LSU. It just can't happen. And that ultimately screwed them, even though I think LSU's really good. If that game had just been closer, I think they might have got in. If that had been a last-second field goal, but they got housed. I remember watching the game. But I, I got news for you. Beside Alabama and Clemson, I think every team in the country would get housed going into LSU. They were really good this year. I mean, they were they were awesome. They have more NFL players than you, if your name's not Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama. So, to think that that's some crazy loss, it's just not. And this was a really, really difficult decision. But I'm also, I'm not going to flinch on this. I'm not a big fan of the 18 playoffs. Like UCF, I'm sorry, Mackenzie Milton goes, I don't even take you seriously anymore. Washington, as long as you keep rolling out Jake Browning, and thank God this is the last game, I don't take you seriously. I mean, he's probably a a high-level guy. He's going to be successful selling insurance or running a company or on Wall Street. He's a below-average, you know, uh, quarterback at the highest level of college. He's just not good enough. And then you look at, you know, just start going around, like Michigan. Clearly, they were really flawed. They can't play with the big boys who have speed. So this year, like, beside those top six in Ohio State, kind of made their own bed when they got destroyed by Purdue— Georgia, at least they got blown out by LSU. And Oklahoma, while they have an enormous red flag, the biggest red flag of any red flag of these four teams in their defense. I think I saw Joel Klatt say on Twitter that it is going to be the worst unit offensive defense in the history of the playoffs by like 40 spots. I mean, they have one of the worst defenses in the country. You don't need to be Bill Parcells to figure that out. You watch him play a series and you're like, God, why are their defenders so bad? Honestly, it's somewhat baffling because clearly Oklahoma is getting the cream of the crop offensive players for the last two decades. Adrian Petersons, the Joe Mixons, the, you know, just you go D.D. Westbrooks, you go on and on. The James Andrews guys playing for Baltimore is an excellent player. I mean, they produce wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs and quarterbacks with ease. Why can't they find some corners? Why can't they find some hybrid linebackers? I don't get it. Even though I do kind of get it when your coach, uh, especially the way Lincoln is now, is so offensive heavy, you just discount that side of the ball. You also don't set the tone in practice to hit people in the mouth when you just run spread constantly. Like there is a, I'm hitting you in the mouth with Georgia, with LSU, with Alabama. Every day at practice, Notre Dame carries themselves like an old school program. They want to play like a better version of Michigan. Hits you in the teeth. Ohio State is the ultimate combination because they use SEC players and they use a spread offense, but they have an old school defensive mentality. Like Urban's defenses on his good teams are always elite. So they emphasize that. Like Oklahoma doesn't. And the bet I like the most is taking Clemson to win it all. Right now, you can almost get them three to one going into this playoff because their roster is the closest to Alabama. They have NFL players on both sides of the ball. Their quarterback is him or Kyler Murray, the most talented player, the quarterback. Like, if Tua can't go, Alabama can't win the championship. They're not going to win the championship with Jalen Hurts, which is not going to happen. Can Notre Dame win with Book? Maybe, but their team isn't as good as these other teams. Can Trevor Lawrence, if he gets hot for two games, win this whole thing for 100%? And I think Oklahoma, you just can't play no defense. Like, listen, football's changed. 
the emphasis just on defense in general has changed. But you have to play some in playoff games, college or pro. You can't just give up touchdown after touchdown, completion after completion, and win big-time games. It's going to be the downfall of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, their downfall might have been Kareem Hunt getting in trouble anyway, but that's uh, that's a whole other conversation. So I like Clemson to win it all, uh, and, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, I have no issue with the committee, but th- there was a legit argument to be made for Georgia. One thing, one pet peeve of mine, and you see this on social media a lot, is like when people complain about athletes or what they're making, and then like a media person will fire back and be like, fans think that they dictate people's salary. And, and they don't directly, but indirectly, without like these leagues make all this money because of people. You know, without a bunch of eyeballs, you could not sign these gigantic media deals that the NFL, that college football, that the NBA, like they don't necessarily. The, the amount of people they need in a stadium and selling tickets has become less important as it does the people consuming your product on television or streaming. That is how you make a lot of money. Fans matter. Like fans, not one individual, but as a group, they pay for everyone's salary. That's not even arguable. That, that is the business model, especially in the NFL. Well, One thing that, like, in the NFL, one major difference between the NFL and college is for the most part, like, there are only probably on a, you can count on one hand, truly impactful road venues. And plus, these guys are pros. So playing on the road is just easier. Where in college, if you're like a 19-year-old sophomore and you play in the Pac-12 and you're playing at UCLA, like, going into Oregon, that's hard. You know, that's difficult. If you're playing at Ohio State, going into Michigan, in theory, is difficult. Playing in any SEC road environment, it's hard. Like, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, it, it, it does impact players. I've seen, I've worked in college, I've worked in the pros. It's light years different in the pros. Like, you can easily go on the road and just win road games. Well, to me, there are still, like, I'm watching Seattle play, and their home field advantage is real. Like, just from their crowd environment. And one crowd that I don't think gets any credit, and I threw on the game because the Bay Area, we, you know, I had to watch the Raiders and Niners. I didn't get the local, the national game was Patriots, uh, Minnesota, and the New England pretty easily, you know, 24 10. Uh, and I actually didn't even finish the game because I, I had to do this. Uh, but one takeaway, at least from watching the first half, and I, I think we all take this for granted is there is an edge when you go into Foxborough. There is a standard that has been set. By, now, don't get me it starts with Brady and Belichick. But every fan that walks in there has a massive FU edge. Now, is that Boston? Is that a chip on your shoulder? Whatever. But they all walk into that stadium like they are the best. And you feel it when you're, I'm just watching on my iPad this morning, I'm like, God damn it would be, I mean, Foxborough, it's not a home field advantage just because you're playing Brady and Belichick. That place is crazy. Every person in there is going nuts, and they think that you are not their equal, and they have a lot of evidence that you're not. But I don't think their crowd, and I heard actually Bill Simmons mention this uh, on one of his podcasts, and it just made me think, and then I'm watching the game, I'm like, God, this place is crazy. You know? It's not just, like, I- I'm sorry. Like, if the 49ers get good, will Levi's be a, a great home field advantage? I don't know. I would probably actually doubt it. I'd bet against it. 
Because I've been to, when I went to Candlestick, and I've been to some games at the Coliseum when the Raiders have been competitive, like the Coliseum and, and, and Candlestick, sneaky, not necessarily, it's not like downtown San Francisco, but it was kind of down toward the airport, in a rough part of town, had a major edge to it. And the Coliseum, when the Raiders are good, have a major edge to it. Like, you know, there's a home field advantage. There, there is a, and the, in both those two teams, now the Niners had it for a minute with Harbaugh. Like every fan went in there. They grew up on Eddie DeBartolo. And this is what I think makes rooting for sports fun. Like when, especially when you root for a great team, you have an arrogance to you as a fan. Like I pay, if you, I'm sure the Fox Bro tickets probably cost you, you know, 150 minimum for nosebleeds just to get in. That you carry yourself like a champion. And that sounds cheesy and corny and all that BS. But I'm watching these games and think that every single human being in that stadium believes that their team, like to their core, is just better than you. And you just, like, it's no different than when you watch an Alabama game or an Ohio State game. You see it a lot in college sports when it's obvious they're just better. You don't see it as often in pro sports. Like, the Warriors have that right now. I used to go to Warriors games before even Steve Kerr got here, like when Mark Jackson was there. It was like a fun environment, but it didn't really have, like, everyone in the place did not view themselves like they were truly better than the best teams. Now, if you go in there, there is an arrogance and an ego from the players to the crowd that you can you can sniff from a mile away. And I feel that for the, like, I hadn't even thought about it, but I'm watching the Patriot game and going, God, they have this arrogance to them and this element that no other team right now has in the NFL. Like, I'm watching the Steeler Charger game on Sunday night and thinking, God, there are people in the crowd in Pittsburgh. They got Big Ben, Antonio Brown. They've made the playoffs, it feels like, every year for the last 50 years. That are It's crossing their mind. They might lose this game, because I'm thinking it. But they, it never crosses anyone's mind in New England like, we're losing, because we ain't losing. And we know we're not losing at home. And that that is an advantage. And again, I'm not saying that, like, their crowd is a reason that they have all these championships or whatever, but they play a role. And I don't think they get the proper credit because place rocks. You just do not lose. And there is an edge that you feel on television that I'm jealous living on the West Coast. We just, it doesn't consume our life. And at one point in time, actually on the West Coast, when I grew up, the Niners for 20 years were like what the Patriots are doing. And there was an ego with the fan base. And you know what? When you're good, your fan base should have an ego. You should look at everyone else like they're inferior. And most people, you know, I know I get DMs all the time, Middlecoff mailbag, at John Middlecoff, slide up in them, from just fans of different teams. Like, I'm a Bengal fan. I'm a Browns fan. I'm a Seattle fan. You don't view yourself like that. And you shouldn't. I mean, because you get nervous in games that you think you might lose, because you might. Where If I was a Patriot fan... I would never, ever view any game I played for the last 10-plus years we were ever going to lose. I would never think like that. My arrogance and ego would be I wouldn't even be able to talk. Like, what? You said who? You're going to beat us? But there is this this like craziness to the fans that's so loud. No wonder that Belichick and Brady win all the time. That place rocks. I like Richard Sherman, uh, and I think he's had a fantastic career. I think he's the most physical tackling corner I've personally ever seen. Uh, he, he just, I mean, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. And he's he's played really well this year coming off a torn Achilles for the 49ers. 
But one thing, and, and listen, I so, some of us, and I mean this, we all, there are certain people in our lives that we just dislike, that we just do not like for whatever reason. Some of them have valid reasons, like a guy screwed you, guy stole your girlfriend, uh, you just, you did business with him, you hated him, you just don't like his personality, whatever. And so I, I get it. You don't have to like everyone. I, I think too often in 2018, and maybe it's, maybe it's always been like this, we spend too much time trying to make sure that people think we like them even when we don't. So I respect Richard Sherman just openly acting like he doesn't like Russell Wilson. Here's my problem with Richard Sherman last week, kind of claiming like Russell is not a good player. Like Richard, this isn't 2013 anymore. LB's not carrying him. Russell Wilson is an elite quarterback. He's a top three or four quarterback right now, and he has been for the last couple of years. He's headed to the Hall of Fame as a quarterback. And you know what, Richard? And in t- all of Twitter and so many people on, in the media, because they're so pro player, were like, oh my God, two years ago, you got to pay Cam. You got to pay Michael Bennett this year. You got to pay Earl Thomas. These guys deserve it. Like, no, they're all actually all getting kind of old. They've already been paid. Are they going to give him a third contract? And clearly the locker room kind of shifted on Pete, and he just said, screw him, got rid of them all. Not great value, and I crushed them six months ago because you got to, if you are going to get rid of them, which of, you get rid of everyone in this league besides maybe quarterbacks, you know, even if they get old on you, but you kind of hold on to the end because you should. Like the Giants, what they're doing with Eli is stupid, but it is kind of understandable. Any other position, it is not understandable. It's not okay. Well, with Russell, like, they knew. Now, is Russell corny as hell? Yes. Do, do I, like, get anything out of when I follow Russell and I have forever on Twitter and, and Instagram? Clearly, he's a good human being, you know? Better human being than me. Probably a better human being than you two. But if I was around him every day, I'm probably a little more like Richard. I'd think he was corny, too, and it would drive me nuts. And early on, when we won, like big, I would remember him as going, if I'm Richard, like we carried you. And uh, it clearly shifted these last couple years, and everything changed, and he clearly is good enough now to carry you to, to the playoffs by himself. So I, I get where Richard's coming from, but he's no longer right continuing to say like he's not a good player. And I do think that whole group of defense... They believe that. They do not like Richard Sherman. Or, I mean, excuse me, Russell Wilson. Besides maybe Bobby Wagner. That, unlike those other guys that were starting to diminish in play, Bobby Wagner is still an all-pro. So they kept him. And wasn't really ruffling feathers and got along with Russell just fine. But in the NFL, like Richard and any defensive player, I'd say you got to be very careful about picking a battle with your quarterback. Because anyone knows in office politics... If you, pick a, if you pick a battle with the guy who's making the company more money than you, you're going to lose. But if you pick a battle with a guy that you're more valuable, you, you might win. And hell, you still might lose, but you got a much better chance to win that. Like Richard, you picked a battle with a guy 100% they were not going to get rid of. They were going to build the thing around. So that is on you a little bit. And looking back, why Seattle didn't even resign him or even really entertain it, because clearly he's got something left and they could have had him for a discount. They didn't want him around anymore. Why would you? It's like, Richard, you hate Russell. 
Like, we're trying to take a step, and we have. We have an incredible culture here. Our lowest moment of this run was last year when we went 9-7, and seven, and we had a ton of injuries. This year, we've kind of flipped it. We're all young beside Russell. It's his team, and we're looking at 10-6 and six and going to the playoffs, baby. And if it wasn't for this all-time great team in our division, record-wise, not actual team, we would be in the mix to win most divisions. So, Richard, you're in the wrong on this one. And again, I am pro, like, Russell kind of drives me nuts. Uh, he, he was married, and then when he was got divorced after, I think, Golden Tate, some weird things happened, you know, you start dating Sierra, and you start claiming you're like a born-again virgin, and she's got songs about my goodies. It's like, Russell, come on, man. This is 2018. Like, don't don't treat us like idiots. You know, I, I get you got a brand to withhold, but come on, bro. Just be a normal human for five seconds. Like, he, he, the older I get, the more he drives me nuts. But I will say this about him. If you said, John, I'm going to charge you 50 bucks, and you could watch one quarterback in the NFL, like you only get one game, and the top, whatever the quarterback you pick is going to have his best game. It, what would just be the funnest, you know, the most entertaining for your eyes? It'd be Russ. Like, he really is, and I've watched him very closely just because I watch a lot of the NFC West. Obviously, the Niners play him, and I just locked into their games. He's incredible. Like, he's an all-time great player, and he's only getting better. Like, it, it's just, the, there's no more argument anymore. Is he Andrew Luck? No. I would take Andrew Luck over him. But has he closed that gap? Yes, he has. He's impressed me. I, I The gap, like, four or five years ago before Luck got hurt, was like the Grand Canyon. They weren't even in the same conversation. Now, I still would take luck, but Russell can carry you. He can make plays like with Andrew with nobodies. Now, Doug Baldwin's a good player. Tyler Lockett's becoming one, but they haven't really had any running back since Marshawn quit on him several years ago. Now, Carson and Penny are playing well right now, but again, it's Carson, a seventh-round pick. Penny looked really chubby at the beginning of the year. You know, so... Russell, like Richard and the defense of an LOB that doesn't like, they're just wrong now. Uh, the, the, the jury's no longer out on Russ. Like, we have evidence. He's a baller. Okay, let's get into the Middlecoff mailbag. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fly through, see if I can bang out like four or five, because I'm, I'm a little behind, as I always am. Because you guys slide up in those DMs. You go to my Instagram account, at John Middlecoff. DMs are open. You hit follow, and then you hit message if you have a question. And I'll answer him like this. Who's the best college quarterback in the 2019 draft if Justin Herbert doesn't declare? I think that that has become pretty clear. It's Dwayne Haskins, assuming he'll declare, which he doesn't have to. I think he's only a redshirt sophomore. But his talent is pretty immense. Uh, It feels like he's gone from Ohio State. I'll be interested to see if he plays in the Rose Bowl. Uh, If I had to guess, I'd say 50-50 as the recording of this a lot of players have announced they're not playing in their bowl game. I have not seen anything on him. Obviously, Nick Bosa pieced out a while ago. I mean, let's call it what it is. And I don't blame Nick Bosa, but he quit on the team. Like, that's what he did. That happened. Now, if you just leave your bowl game, to me, that's not quitting on your team. What Nick Bosa did is he quit on the team. You know? And again, I, I got no issue with it, but let's just call it what it is. Uh, so, yeah, I'd go Dwayne Haskins. 
Hey, John, big fan of the pot. Do you think the Niners should go after Jalen Ramsey in the offseason? Maybe throw a few draft picks Jacksonville's way, not first round. The Niners secondary is awful, and I think Sherman would be solid mentor for Jason. Or, excuse me, Jalen. The problem is you can't take a guy in the top five and then have him become an elite player and trade him for non-first-round picks. And the Niners, with the one or second overall pick, cannot trade that for Jalen Ramsey. Uh, but the Jaguars, who, listen, fanboys, he is not on the trading block. They have 100% discussed trading him. Because, as I've said, he never shuts up, which isn't a terrible thing. He does back it up. But he also writes checks that his teammates can't cash. He can cash them. Like Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, uh, Philip Rivers. You know, great players can talk all the shit they want. Jalen Ramsey can never shut up. He can back it up. Well, he's got half his teammates can't. And his quarterback definitely can't. So it, it would be a li- it would wear you out. Say one thing. Remember when it was a it was a question? If you could redo the draft, would the Cowboys rather have Jalen Ramsey than Zeke? No. Because two things. Zeke is every bit Jalen's equal. He's an elite player. And he doesn't say anything. Now, he did get suspended last year because of something off the field. And Jalen hasn't. Like, I'm not comparing them off the field. But just as a football player, like, Zeke doesn't say anything. He just balls. Like, Jalen, like, when you have a player that never shuts up, like, can you imagine Khalil? Khalil could say whatever he wanted. But a lot of his teammates can't play at his level, obviously. Whatever team he was on. So when you talk a lot, remember the the, the football life of Jerry Rice, like, it's fascinating when Dion comes and it would wear Jerry down and wear Jerry out. Like, they butted heads a lot. Because Dion, Dion, say whatever. It didn't matter. And Dion was good enough to back it up. But a lot of guys, like, don't like that style. And it can wear guys out. You know? I mean, I, I talk for a living, so it's a little different. But we've all worked in office settings with the one guy that will never shut up. Now, if you're good enough, it's like, whatever. But it just naturally wears humans out. Because even me, who, again, who talks for a living... Like, I just like my quiet time. When I don't say a word, I get worn out, you know? I, I Jalen Ramsey, there got to be guys in that locker room. Again, players aren't dumb. They all would tell you how great he is because, again, he's an elite player. But, man, he, he's got to pump the brakes. So, back to the uh, the initial premise of the question, the question. I there I can't see them trading for it. Now, it, would, they, would I trade my second-round pick for Jalen Ramsey? 100%. The Jaguars can't do that, and they won't do that. Uh, sliding in your DMs. Before the season started, after a night of steak, beers, and plenty of smack talk, I bet a buddy 500 bucks that Andrew Luck would eventually be in the Hall of Fame. Is the big fella going to win this bet? I think if you're going to do a bet that's so far out, uh, you know, if you're out steak beers, I, I think you got to bet like five thousand dollars. Because if the guy is betting you, because you're if you're betting on Andrew Luck, you're simply betting that he's just going to come back. If he comes back, he's going. Yes, he's a Hall of Famer, but he's got to play. But if you're going to bet it, my, my advice to you, if somehow can you up the bet? Now he probably wouldn't do that now because he realizes he's back and he's about to throw for fifty touchdowns. But uh, now he didn't get a touchdown last week playing Jalen Ramsey. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I wouldn't say it's a lock Hall of Famer, but here's what we know. When Andrew Luck is on the field, 
He dominates. The only thing that can slow Andrew Luck down, well, there's actually two things. One human, his name's Ryan Grigson, and the other thing is injuries. It looks like he's staying healthy. He's looked incredible this last, I would say, six, seven game stretch. He hadn't played in forever, so he was a little rusty to start, and now he's humming. New coach, new offense. They will continue to build. Uh, Yeah, I I think, if anything, I would try to ask your buddy, hey, can we quadruple the bet? Because to me, if you're going to make a bet, assuming you're semi-successful, that's 15 years away, hell, maybe 20, because if you think about it, he plays another, he's 30 years old, let's say he plays another 8, 10 years, and you're 5 years away from the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, we're a long time away from him even being in the mix. Uh, now, I would say by in like three or four years, we'd have a pretty good feeling like, yeah, he's going to the Hall of Fame. But right now, it's still somewhat in question in the sense that he still has a lot of career left. And I don't, he if his career ended today, he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. But his play on the field was Hall of Fame worthy. So, yeah, I'd, I'd try to make that bet larger. Uh, hey, John, big fan of the pod. Since you have been up and close and personal, it would be great to hear you speak about relationships and loyalty within a front office and coaching. There are numerous examples of guys who have failed multiple times in the NFL that continue to have their name brought up. Damn, I clicked it. Uh, and failed multiple times. Okay, they continue to have their name brought up like a Hugh Jackson being the latest. Why do highly paid personnel people continue to bring in underperforming uh, coaches or staff into their organization if it means risking their job? That's a good question. I, I, I think unlike players, coaches, if you're evaluating a coach, it's very hard because there's not a lot to quantify. Besides, I mean, Hughes an obvious one, wins or losses. But just in terms of like owners can't quantify how dynamic your offense is in terms of like your different personnel sets, the type plays you run. They just know if you score a lot of points, if it looks fun, like what the local media is saying about you. So it's just like with a player, I I can go, well, you want to draft Dwayne Haskins? He's thrown for 45 touchdowns. He plays at Ohio State. So you just know he's probably pretty good. Like if I get a quarterback coach for Sean McVay, let's say, he might be really good. He might be the next Sean McVay. He also might be the next Joe Philbin. You really don't know. And we've all interviewed people. We've or we've interviewed, and we know that you can kind of fool them if it's just a short-lived experience. And if you're smart with the references you give, like you can make yourself sound a little better than you actually are. So I think it's really difficult. Like, is Mike McCarthy a really good coach? Might be. I mean, the likelihood of him being Andy Reid, to me, is slim to none. Andy and Aaron would not have had the relationship that Mike had. So to me, Mike has a personality... Now, I, I wouldn't say flaw, but just type that is much different than Andy Reid. Like, Andy would have got along with Aaron because he would have realized that he needs Aaron and he just likes the quarterback play. Like, to me, Mike and Aaron's relationship have always been weird. So is Mike just going to be open-minded to coach other quarterbacks? Like, this comparison that he's like Andy Reid, he's just going to have a second. He's kicked ass in his first job. He's going to go to another job and kick more ass. It was just time to move on. He might, but, like, Andy was a lock to have success in Kansas City. A lock. And it's proven he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. He would win anywhere. Would Mike McCarthy win anywhere? Like, I don't know. He had Aaron Rodgers. Like, back to Andy, like, he had Donovan McNabb. And then he won with Michael Vick. And then he got Alex Smith. 
And now he's winning with Mahomes. Like, I, I've seen Mike McCarthy win with one or two. Brett Favre and <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. I've seen him attempt to play with others, and he sucks. Like, he can't even function. Like, I, I saw Andy win with Kevin Kolb, with Nick Foles. Uh, you know, he's won a game with a rookie Pat Mahomes at the end of the I don't know, he just won with a bunch of random guys. Now, Mahomes is no longer random, but you get my drift. Where I think with coaches, it's just a lot more difficult. And definitely with personnel people. Because, like Ryan Grigson, when he was hired in Indy, you go, God, he worked for Andy Reid forever, he's around Howie Roseman, he, you know, Tom Heckard, he knows a lot of these smart guys. And he's terrible. You know, but sometimes a guy gets his first shot, had been like an understudy with the Green Bay Packers and John Schneider, Pete Carroll takes a shot on him. Turns out John Schneider's one of the best in the league. It's just, it's hard. I, I, I think at the end of the day, just hiring people, like evaluating good players, isn't that difficult. Now, I think a lot of guys miss on players because they miss on evaluating the person. Most players, I would say, especially in football, works all, and basketball a little bit, but football more than anything, because there's so much, so many intangibles that define how successful you are. You know, like how tough you are, how mentally sharp you are, how how much you can handle. Like a lot of guys that bust in the NFL, like Jamarcus Russell did not lack physical characteristics. You know, he, he did not bust because he could not physically play the position. Most guys that, you know, flame out of the NFL as players, it's because they didn't have the intangible stuff. Most head coaches that fail, not for the most part, it's not because they can't sit on a whiteboard and draw a play or understand X's and O's or scheme. It's because they can't address, they, they can't handle everything else. So it's just, it's just hard to, it's just hard to find good people in anything you do, whatever you do, anyone listening to this and whatever job you do, if you're in a hiring position, knows how difficult it is. I mean, there's a huge, I, I think, I personally think there's an element of luck to it. Now, you can get a feel for a guy, but if you're only interviewing them, even if it's just a two-day interview, like you spend all day with them, you go to dinner with them, you spend the next day with them, there's a lot of intangible stuff that you can never truly define that works for coaches, that works for players, that works for personnel people, that works for a dude that you're hiring, you know, to be your CFO or, you know, to be your web designer. I don't know. It works for everything. Hey, John, love the pod recently. Me too. I was just wondering what the prerequisites were to becoming an NFL scout and what goes into it. I'm a lifelong Raider fan. I'm always curious. I'm always scouting for them, so just curious. <laughs> I feel you. Uh, I mean, my path is I worked in college football. I, I went to Cal Poly undergrad. I didn't play. I just started working for the program, and then that kind of led to a graduate assistant job at Fresno State, which obviously, you know, Pat Hill was producing a bunch of NFL guys. I got to do that for two years in the recruiting office. I kind of learned the just basics of what you look for in different players. We had a bunch of NFL guys on that team, and it just one thing led to another, and I got my chance in Philly. Pat was good friends with Andy Reid, got me an interview. I got hired that day. But, I mean, I worked with people, uh, former college players. I worked with guys that had never played. Uh, I, I worked with, you know, people from all different backgrounds. I, I, I think you got to get involved for the most part. My recommendation to people that want to get involved would be don't. <laughs> Kidding. But 
if if you do, it, it's it's always a start in college football. And now, especially for young people, if you're going to a, a school with a football program, one A or one double A. I mean, I started at Cal Poly, and we had a couple NFL guys, but it's just get involved in recruiting and then see if you like it because it's not going to be for everyone. Because usually it takes long hours, and it's not that it's not as glamorous as you think. Like scouting was not that glamorous. Hell, it was kind of miserable some of the time. You know, if you, 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 I know people in New England, like New England is not a happy-go-lucky place. Like they've won more than anyone, and I'm telling you, they don't smile that often. Now working for Coach Reed, I've been lucky. I had worked for two head coaches that were awesome. That's why when Chip came in, I I was never into that philosophy. Now it wasn't necessarily my choice, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But I, my, my start and my path is different than most. Uh, I, there's not like, you know, you want to work on Wall Street, you know, you got to go to, you got to go to an Ivy League school. That's not the, necessarily the way of scouting works. I mean, uh, you know, historically a lot of former players, but now I think that's kind of morphed, you know, people from college football. Some people just start as like training camp interns. Uh, some people go to law school, like Howie Roseman was a law guy. That was his in and then kind of switched into it, you know, as his career kind of took off within the organization. Mike Tannenbaum, who's a buddy of mine, uh, same kind of deal. They actually, Tannenbaum, gave, I think, gave Howie a start. So, you know, I mean, there's just, there's no, like, like any job in life, there's no, for the most part, just set path. Uh, and, and scouting is definitely a unique one because there's not like, there's no scouting degree, <laughs> you know. It's not like I could have walked into, you know, San Diego State and been like, I want to be an NFL scout. Really, I, I knew I had to work in sports because in school, really my entire life, I never really listened because never really did much for me. Like the only class I ever remember really enjoying, like accounting and stuff that I, and now I like a lot of business stuff. I watch CNBC, but I remember the business classes I took, like put me to sleep. Uh, the one class that I thought was really cool, and I took this in college, was a sports journalism class. It was just about writing. And I, that was the best class by far I ever took at Cal Poly, 100%. I loved it. And I ended up writing for the school newspaper after. But it's just, you just got to fall. If you really like it and you really want to do it, uh, you know, you, you can find a way. Uh, but there's no, like, I can't just tell you, like, do this. And that equals this, because it doesn't. Uh, I got a little lucky. Things just kind of happened. Uh, and just, it's funner to be a podcaster anyway. And th- thanks for listening. Keep the questions coming at John Middlecoff. Keep firing them, and uh, I'll keep answering them in the Middlecoff mailbag. Appreciate you guys listening. Hope you're having a good week. December, and I know it's like 50 degrees in the Bay Area. I am freezing. So if you live somewhere else where it's actually cold, 50 is really our, like, 25. Like, it's really cold. Uh, but this is a great time of year in football. Like, you know, it just gets cold, snowy, rainy. It- it'll be interesting to see how – offenses like are we still gonna be putting up 40 45 points in kansas city when it's a 20 degree sleet storm uh we'll see <laughs> you know i don't know I'm, I'm gonna keep my eye on this level of football as the weather changes because it's there's nothing like a good snow game and we know we got some coming in the nfl appreciate everyone listening uh have a good week and i'll see you guys again friday Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, 
That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.